All right, tonight we're in Genesis 12. Can I get an amen? We're definitely going through this faster than Kyle thought we were going to go through it. And a lot faster than I thought we were going to go through it. But, here's the thing. We can go over this if it takes us a year. We can preach something else. And if we don't like it, we can come back here and preach this some more. I bet two sermons on Genesis 12 won't be the same. How much, how much you think, how, how much truth do you think is in that statement? How many times have you read one scripture over and over and gotten three or four or five different things out of the same scripture? Come on. The word of God is always working on you. Amen? Because I can tell you that we could read John 3.16 and never in a million years... Did I ever stop and go, well, who's that whosoever will? I just, one point in my life, I just thought, well, whosoever will, just, that just means everybody. But that isn't what it means. It means whoever will, whoever believes, right? So we have to parse that out. But I didn't always understand that. The verse always said that, but I didn't always understand that out of that verse. Amen? Uh I probably overlooked John 3, 17 just as much as everyone else. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the, the world through him might be saved. Now, there's all kinds of implications in there. And I never once took for thought what the, who the world was. Now, we know not everybody in the world is going to be saved. Right? People are going to go to hell. That's going to happen. It's already written. Okay? Now, the reality is that means that whole world through him might be saved means those who believe. Amen? We're still in verse 16 and we're still in verse 18 where it says those who believe are not condemned and those who do not believe are condemned already. Amen? But I never understood all of that at the beginning of my Christian life. I just knew John 3.16 said God loved me and wanted to save me. And that's what I got out of John 3.16. God loved me and wanted to save me. That's what I got out of that. Amen. And that's the, is that the right, is that the right translation? Yes. That's what you're supposed to get out of John 3.16. Amen. But the deeper and the longer you study John 3.16, the more you're going to get out of it. You're going to go, oh, that's a whosoever will believe. That, that, it doesn't mean everybody. It means those that believe. Those that don't believe are taken care of in verse 18. You don't understand all that when you first start reading the Bible. Amen? You kind of go, oh, man, John 3.16 is the hilltop and everything else you look past because you're on top of the hill. You're like, God loves me and God came to save me. And you stay right there for a long time. Amen? And it's okay that you stay right there for a long time. God wants you to stay right there for a long time. Because there's a lot to be said about just having childlike faith. Amen? That just says, God loved me and came to save me. Amen? We don't have to get into any debates. We don't have to get into uh, any... Uh, Word searches over what this word means and that word means. Now, later on, when you study the Bible more and more and more, you'll end up doing those things. Amen? So what I say is I don't always 
get the whole message every time I read the Bible. I don't get everything all at once. Neither do you. If you did, you wouldn't walk up to me all the time and go, man, I was reading the Bible, and I read this passage, and then all of a sudden it clicked. Right? Well, that passage has been there for 2,000 years. And every single year of your life, just because you didn't see it doesn't mean it wasn't there. Amen? But you read it before, and you still didn't get that out of it until that one day. How do I account for that? That's the Holy Ghost. The, the one that teaches us all truth. Can I get an amen? The Holy Spirit teaches you while you're reading the Word of God. Can I get an amen on that? So we're going to start right here. Are you already recording? Okay, good. We're going to start right here in chapter 12, and I'm going to read eight verses. Y'all better get ready. This is the only word. Eight verses is a lot, a lot of verses for me, okay? Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee and I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee or excuse me curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram, and Abram's, uh, excuse me, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth. Into uh, They went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of the Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto a place called Sychem. Now the, uh, the, the King James says Sychem, but it's also pronounced Shechem, which we've already talked about numerous times, going through John, going through uh, Genesis, amen. Now watch this. Unto Shechem, unto the plain of Morai, and the Canaanite, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west. And uh, it says, Hai or Ai, okay? In the King James it says H A I. That's Old English for Ai, okay? If you look up the Hebrew word there, it's Ai, just Ai. That's literally what it is. Ai on the east, and there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. We're going to stop right there because before we go any farther, the next part of this is going to be where 
Abram lies about Sarai being his wife and all that. Okay, we're going we're gonna to save that for next service, okay, for Wednesday. Amen? Because that's a whole other ball of wax, okay? And Abram does this not just once. He does it once when he's Abram, and then he does it once when he's Abraham. Okay? In other words, even though Abram was chosen God and did all that God commanded him, he still was weak in the flesh like the rest of us. And no matter whether God gave him a new name or not, he was still a sinner at heart. Come on, somebody. You know where we are. <laughs> but I'm going to start right here at verse 1, okay? Uh, last uh, service on... Uh, Wednesday night, we talked about the line of Abraham from Shem to Abraham. Amen. And we noted that in chapter 11, it seems, verse 31, that Terah moves on and picks up Abram and Lot and all their wives and goes from Ur, to the Chal uh, Ur of the Chaldees to Haran. And it seems like Abram hears this command from Haran, right? It almost would seem that he's hearing it from Haran, right? Because in verse 31 and verse 32 of chapter 11, which were the last two verses we read, it seems that Abram and his father and everybody went to Haran, and then there Abram's father Terah died, right? problem with that assumption that Abram got this word from the Lord uh, after they left Ur of the Chaldeans is the New Testament says something different. Okay? So if you will, I want you to let me see if I can find my note for this verse, okay? Uh, go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Now Stephen is giving his uh, defense of the gospel or his, his, uh, his uh, sermon to the Sanhedrin who have trapped him, right? They went and arrested him, and he's about to be beheaded at the end of this chapter, correct? Yeah, or stones. I'm thinking of Paul at the same time. My bad. He's about to be stoned at the end of this chapter. But if you'll turn to chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran. This is plain English, isn't it? And said to him, go out of your land from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out of the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land in which you are now living. Amen. Now this is Stephen is a Jew. Amen. Can we get can we get an amen that Stephen was a Jewish man? He was. 
So he understood the law. He understood tradition. He understood what they taught. He understood the history of his people. Can I get another amen? So we have to understand that though verse 31 and verse 32 kind of make it look like Terah's the one that thought, hey, we need to leave. What in all actuality is happening is they give you that tidbit of information there at the end, and then they give you the how that happened. Amen? Because chapter 12 tells you that they left and then they stayed in Haran. Right? And it shows you that Abram leaves from Haran. Now, this is going to be really hard to preach this message and the rest of these chapters until his name is changed to Abraham, okay? It's so hard to remember that right now his name is Abram and not Abraham, okay? Now, who wants to venture a guess as to what Abram means and what Abraham means? You remember? Father of multitude is what Abraham means. Yes, father of many or father of the multitude. Abram means exalted father. Abram means exalted father. So God took the exalted father and then made him the father of the multitude. How about that? That's part of the blessing. Right? Now, I still have to remember right now he's called Abram. And it's really hard when you want to call him Abraham. I mean, when you grow up singing songs, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Okay, when you grow up singing songs like that, it's hard to say Abram. You have to do it on purpose. <laughs> Amen. And I may slip in the weeks that we, yeah, I may go back and forth. I don't mean to, but I'm really going to try not to, okay? Now, we go back to chapter 12. It says, And the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and out from thy kindred, from thy father's house, into the land that I will show thee. Now, first of all, I want to talk about this in a very, very real way. Never... Does anybody receive from God without giving something else up? It doesn't happen in Scripture. Never in Scripture does God interact with people and it doesn't cause an exchange to happen. Okay? So Abram's blessing and the blessing that he's getting in verse 2 and 3, all that stuff that he's promised, and then verse 7, he gets the land promised to him, okay? All of those are hinged upon the fact that he gets out of his own country, away from his own kindred, out of his father's house, and he goes to the land that God is going to show him. God was telling Abraham, I'm going to do these things for you, but you must get up off your hind end, out of your own country, away from your kindred, away from your father's house, and go to a land that I'm going to show you, okay? Never. Now, I'm going to show, I, we're going to talk about this all throughout Abram's life, that Abram 
God makes a covenant with Abram that's pretty one-sided. It doesn't, God isn't requiring the whole lot of Abram, okay? It seems like God's operating with Abram with lots of grace because there's no law yet, amen? And all Abram has to do is believe God and obey. Now, there's plenty of talk in the New Testament about how Abram had faith before he left. Abram had faith before he sacrifices or is willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Amen? So, we understand that the obedience isn't what gets the blessing. It's the faith that causes the obedience. Can I get amen? Because you're never going to see people obey God and not believe God, okay? Faith causes action. Can I get an amen? So we, we live in a Christian community nowadays that seems to say that you can be a Christian, but you don't have to move from where you're at. You can be a Christian, but it's not going to cost you anything. The reality is salvation is free, but... Born again, the born-again experience is detrimental to my, uh, my own will. It's detrimental to my wants, my needs, because I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I must deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. These are all the same person speaking. Jesus said... Yes, Jesus said, anyone who believes will be saved. That's true. But he also said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple, period. Amen. You look, the, the, there is a price to pay, and it's called self-denial. That's the price. I die, yet Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul says. Amen? I want to get past this idea that somehow grace means that it doesn't cost me anything. Now, salvation, you don't earn salvation. You don't merit salvation by good works you don't merit salvation by anything at all period amen it's free but the minute that christ comes into your heart an exchange happens where he's now the lord of your life and you're no longer in charge amen that's a penalty, that, that's, that's an exchange that does cost you, amen? It costs you your will. It costs you your uh, uh, so-called freedom. It, it costs you living however your flesh desires you to live. It costs all that, amen? Now, that's not saying all that stuff you do to earn the salvation. That's what happens when you're born again. That's what happens after the fact. Amen. But if that exchange doesn't happen. If faith doesn't produce a change. 
then it wasn't genuine faith. That's period in the story. Amen. James said, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. He wasn't saying, I'm going to show you that I've earned my way to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's going to show you that I have genuine faith because of the works that I do now are different than the works that I did before. Christ really came into my heart. Christ really changed me. Christ really made me a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm no longer walking according to the pattern of this world, but after Christ. Come on, somebody. That's born again. That's, that's the regenerate heart. When your heart is truly regenerated, truly made new, you are different. That's faith. And that kind of faith is never alone. Amen? It's never by itself. Faith without works is dead being alone. Amen? That's what it says. That's what James is talking about. Paul and James are not saying two different things like they're contradicting each other. They're talking about two different aspects, two different paradigms. Paul's talking about faith that saves you and James is talking about the only real faith comes with this. Amen? They're talking about the same thing from two sides of the argument, and they both agree. Because I guarantee you, James, I can show you in Scripture where Peter and James and John extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and agreed on the gospel he preached. That's what it says in Galatians. Amen? They did not preach two different gospels. They did not, one didn't preach, oh, you got to earn your way to heaven, and the other preached, oh, it's by faith only. They both believe that you're saved by grace through faith only in Jesus Christ. Not your works, lest any man should boast, but the truly born again person will do those things that please God. Not always. I'm not saying they're. Uh, ultimate perfection that we're all perfect and we're going to walk perfect I'm not saying any of that but there'll be a difference between the man or woman you were and the man and woman you are amen that's what the Bible says plain and simple I don't have to go into any other detail it says that in a nutshell amen anybody who says the Bible doesn't say that is preaching error Sure, sure. Now, I want, to, I want to stop here and talk about why he had to get out of his own country, away from his kindred, and his father's house. Okay, not just because of obedience, but here's the thing. You're never going to do the things that God wants you to do in a place where God doesn't want you to be. <laughs> and God always moves you out of the things that are comfortable for you to do. You don't believe me? Just talk to all the people that I mentioned this morning. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, Joseph, uh, Abram, 
uh, Jacob, Isaac. Just think about it. You read a Bible story and think about the man or woman that God used and the stuff they went through in living for God. King David was anointed king and ran from Saul for 17 years until he became king. Was it 17? I think it was. I may be wrong. Somebody can go look it up. Mike, did you bring your Google later? Find out how long uh, David ran from Saul. That's all you got to find out. But anyway, all these people had to go through hardship. They had to get away from their family. They had to go and do something outside their comfort zone, right? Whether it's fighting a giant, whether it's, you know, uh, bears and lions like David said he fought, whether it's, whether it's Samson and the Philistine army, whether it's him and Delilah, all kinds of things God used to get his people in a position where they'll see him, turn to him, and respond to him. Amen? But in doing that, it's never the easy way in the Bible. You can't ever read a story where it just went so perfect, right? Although Solomon had all the wisdom he was wiser than any man who would ever live, and he was richer than any man who would ever live after him. Do you understand Solomon's wealth would make any millionaire today look like a, 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 a Cracker Jack's box selling pedestrian at the, at the local uh, fair? That's how much wealth Solomon had. They measured his gold and his silver and the wood and the horses, and there were tons upon tons upon tons upon hundreds of thousands of tons of gold and silver that Solomon made every single year. That's... Nobody's ever been as wealthy as Solomon was. And according to scripture, nobody ever will be. But this man who had everything, who had all the wisdom anyone could ever ask for, still built temples to other gods for his wives. He did exactly the opposite of what God said. God said, don't get, don't get for yourself plenty of horses and chariots don't do that and Solomon had so many horses and chariots when they numbered them it was a massive number Solomon had over 700 wives and concubines but those wives and concubines led him to idolatry and he built temples to false gods not just a couple a whole bunch this is the wisest man who is ever going to live. Yet you think you can escape sin. Now I know most of you. And I, I know myself. I'm not anywhere close to Solomon, okay? In wisdom or wealth. <laughs> Amen? And the little bit I do have. Very hard to stay faithful and do the right things with. Amen. 
Did you find it? Really? I don't think that's right. How many years? I don't think it's 40 years. I don't know if that's right. I seem to remember it was a lot shorter than that, but it wasn't. I think it was around 17 years, but I'll have to look it up later. Maybe I'll find a different Googleator, okay? Or or uh, somebody else can Google it too. We'll see cross-reference each other. Amen. So number one. David, or uh, excuse me, now I got David stuck in my head. Abram had to leave the familiar. Amen. How many of you know that, what did Jesus say? A prophet is without honor in his own town. Right? Why? Because everybody thinks they already know you. Oh, that's just Joseph. That's just Joseph's son, Jesus, the carpenter. That's just him. Isn't he a Galilean? Doesn't he come from Nazareth, right? One of those all things that the Pharisees said about Christ in, in the Bible. Amen? The reality is Abram had to leave what was familiar, what was safe, what felt comfortable to him. It's way easier to stay at home with mom and dad, right? It's way easier to stay where you're comfortable. It's a lot harder to step out to the unknown and do what God's telling you to do. Can I get an amen on that? Like when he says, hey, go leave Cessna. <laughs> Just saying, that wasn't comfortable either. To receive the blessing, he had to leave all of this. He had to leave his father. He had to leave his kindred. He had to leave his own country. And he had to go. Just like Noah, Noah, if Noah would have just stood around and said, hey, God said that we're, there's a flood coming, but we're going to be saved, and Noah never built the ark, guess what? None of us would be here. Noah still had something that he had to do. Can I get an amen? And even in this, Abram has something that he has to do. Go. What, what do you think about that trip? You're... This trip would have took like 400, and it was 450 miles. That's that water trapped in that light. <laughs> it happens like every couple times it rains. It's okay. We'll clean it up in a little bit. The building's peeing. It's old, man. It can't hold it. Give it a break. We got it. We actually, there's a patch right here at the peak of that roof that we still have to get back up and get. That's all it is. But <laughs> anyway, uh, it's very important for us to remember that although Christ saves us freely, completely, he still expects us to do something for him. Amen. We're still expected to go out and spread the gospel. We're still expected to love each other. To love God, to do good one to another, amen? To do good to those who despitefully use and persecute us, to pray for them, amen? When somebody 
compels us to go a mile, we go two miles. When somebody slaps us on the cheek, we offer the other one. Amen? Come on, somebody. If someone takes us and sues us for our coat, we give them our shirt, too. That's what he said, right? All those things are still things Jesus said to do. Salvation's still free, but he still has an expectation on us. Amen? That's not hard to understand. Yeah, well, because we're human beings that are flawed, right? Okay. You ain't hit nobody recently, have you? Okay, good. That's all I need to hear. I'm wondering how, how in trouble my message is right now. Like maybe I should run or, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> hey, I don't fight no more, okay? I'm done fighting, okay? I'm just going to stand there and get beat up. That's what I'm going to do. That, that MMA fight turned it all around for me. I ain't a fighter. I knew it, okay? <laughs> so we're going to go to the second part of this. We talked about why he had to leave. Amen. Now we're going to talk about what he's going to. Now, there are seven blessings that God gives in this promise to Abraham, okay? And we're going to go through those seven different blessings, okay? In verse 2 and 3 and then verse 7 are where these blessings are. Now, let's go to it. Verse 2, and I will make thee a great nation. That's one. And I will bless thee. That's two. And I will make thy name great. That's three. And thou shalt be a blessing. That's number four. How many of you know that it's different to be blessed and be a blessing is a different thing? Because being blessed just means I have substance. Being a blessing means God's going to give me so much that I'm going to be giving it out to people. Amen? So the fourth one is he's going to be a blessing. And then he moves on to five. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Now this second blessing is contingent upon how these other people treat Abram. Okay? Now, I want you to notice some wording here, okay? First of all, the wording says, I will bless them that bless thee, okay? Plural. And then it says, and I will curse him, singular, that curseth thee. And this alludes to the fact that there's going to be many more people that bless Abraham than are that curse Abraham or stand against Abraham and they're about to show you how this works in the very next part of this chapter when Abram lies about what his wife Sarai and then the king realizes oh no this is Abram's wife and then he says oh pray for me right why because the king was fixing to get cursed if he done wrong to Abram but because he doesn't do wrong to Abram and he does the right thing, even though Abram lied, Abram gets blessed by that guy because that guy blessed Abraham and that guy's kingdom 
continue to flourish. Amen? It would have been downhill if that guy would have done wrong to Abraham. Or, see, I did it. If he'd have done wrong to Abram, if he'd have did wrong to Abram, he wouldn't have been blessed. He'd have been dead. Amen? I want to go read that section just for a second, okay? <clears throat> and let me find the verse 17. This is after Abram lies about Sarai, his wife, and Pharaoh takes her as his wife. Okay? Watch this. Verse 17. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Did you have something you wanted to say? No. Saul. King Saul. Yeah, King Saul. But he fell on his own sword. Yes. Fifteen years. Okay, see, I knew the I knew it was like fifteen years, sixteen years, something like that. I knew it wasn't no forty years. I'm like, it was not as long as the wilderness experience, okay? I knew that. But you're, no, you're fine because we were just talking about Solomon. That's how it happens. Somebody says a name and it gets stuck in your head when you're trying to talk about something else. And then you mess around and say Abraham when you mean Abram. And then, yeah. Verse 17 here, we see uh, verse 17 of chapter uh, 12. It says, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done to me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou, She is my sister, so I might have taken her to, be, uh, to me to be my wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife, and all that he had. And then it tells you in the next chapter that Abraham, or Abram, I did it again. Abram left with blessing out of Egypt from Pharaoh. Amen? So what we understand is the context and the reason they're telling you, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. This blessing for Abraham uh, to bless those that bless him, that means it's contingent on those people's behavior towards him. Amen? So this blessing is one of those counteractive ones, okay, where God's going to say, well, they didn't do you right, so I'm doing them wrong. They did you right, so I'm going to do them right. That's what God's saying to Abram. Amen? Now, the fifth, uh, that, was four, that was five, okay. The sixth one is right here. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's the sixth blessing. In thee, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, how does that happen? This is, a, this is how we apply it in Christian life, okay? How are all of the families of the earth blessed in Abraham today? Through Christ. Because Christ the lineage of Abram goes right down to David, goes right down to, Jeth or to uh, Joseph and Mary, to Jesus. Amen? To, 
Now here, he doesn't use the word seed in this one. Later on, I believe it's in Genesis 15, where it tells him that. But his seed, in his seed, all the families of the earth is going to be blessed. That seed, singular, is Christ. Because we're all Abraham's children by faith in Christ. And that's how all the families of the earth are blessed through Abraham. Abram. Did it again. All right. Number seven. Okay, the seventh blessing is down in verse 7. The seventh blessing is down here in verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto him, and said to him, Unto thy seed, now here it is, Kyle. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now, this is the first time that the first of three times that God will physically appear to Abraham or Abram. Man, it's so hard to do that. This is the uh, first of three times. The other three, the other two times, if you want to know, you can turn over to Genesis 17 and 1. Genesis 17 and 1, God renews his covenant with Abram, or Abraham at this time. And when Abraham was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared unto him. Amen? And then if you flip over to uh, Genesis 18, just the next chapter, this is where the visitors come just before Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat on the tent, er, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. That's the third time that God appears physically appears to Abram. Amen. Notice when it, the difference between the appearing of God and just God speaking, it makes the distinction. It never says God appears if God is just speaking, okay? It just says he said. That's exactly what it said at the beginning of this chapter, right? Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, or Abram, right? Doesn't say he appeared to him, just said he spoke. So he didn't appear unto him until right here, verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now Abram builds four altars in his lifetime that we know of, okay? Two of them are in this chapter. Two of those altars are in this chapter. He builds one in chapter 7 and then he moves down a little farther. Or, excuse me, in verse 7, and then he moves down a little farther into to, uh, the, the Canaanite land, and then he builds another altar. Amen? We're going to go ahead and read verse 7 and 8 one more time. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, Unto thy seed I will give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed thence 
unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east and he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So he builds an altar right here in verse 7 and then he moves a little farther in between Ai and Bethel and builds another altar. Amen? Now, how is that important? You'll see later. Amen? But these altars, uh, let me find it. Let me find it. I had it, I had it written down here. Yeah, I can't find it. I didn't write it down probably. Oh, well. Stuff happens, right? All right, so let's go back. I want, to, I want to start back over just for a second because I think it's important to understand how God works in our reading, okay? Now, what are we reading today? In this, What did we read this morning in John? We read about the woman at the well. Where was the well? At Shechem, right? Now I want you to notice something. <clears throat> Where is it? Okay, verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plains of Moriah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. So Abram, when he's coming out of the Ur of the Chaldeans from Haran, he takes this big old swap up northwards and then comes down. Okay? So it happens. And as he's coming down, the first, one of the first places mentioned is Shechem. Okay? And Shechem is very close to Bethel, and Bethel is very close to Gerizim and Ai and Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. Do you know what Mount Moriah is? Anybody? <laughs> it's the Temple Mount. That's the Temple Mount. Does anybody remember why that Mount Moriah is so important in the story of Abram? Because after he's named Abraham, he takes his son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and he offers Isaac as a sacrifice. And God stays his hand with an angel, right? He's about ready to strike his one and only son down with this knife and the angel of the Lord stops him and says, Hey, don't touch a hair on that boy's head. I now see that you love me with all your heart, that you're willing to obey me, blah, 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 right? That's on Mount Moriah. We all, huh? No, it wasn't Golgotha. It's Mount Moriah. It's where the temple is. The, Golgotha is outside of the city of Jerusalem a little way. It's like right outside. It's on a hill. It's not a mountain. It's a hill outside the city. The actual temple mount is the mountaintop where Abram would have offered, or Abraham would have offered Isaac. 
That's why it's important. No, no, no. But Golgotha is not the place, okay? The history of the Jews says where the temple was built, that's where Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Moriah, where the temple's at. Uh, anyway, there's also important things about this area. Shechem obviously is an important place because Jacob's well's there. Joseph gets buried there. Amen. Come on, somebody. This is all important things that are going to have ramifications through the rest of Genesis when we read it. Amen. And into the New Testament when we understand where people are at. Okay. Uh, I forget. Uh, I'll have to look it up. But Peanut told me something that I would have been really awesome in this conversation, but now I forgot it. Okay. So. I'll, I'll look it up later, and then I'll share it on the church page, okay? But also, we understand that Bethel and Ai are very important parts of Genesis' story, amen? Now, and the rest of the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament. Now, there was a, uh, at Shechem, over on Mount Ebal, they had a temple in Bethel. That temple was built when the, when the uh, country of Israel was split in two, right? And they worshipped over there in Bethel, and then David built the temple. Amen? Or Solomon built the temple. So there was a temple complex in Bethel. Now that temple complex, several different times, had false gods that were worshipped in that temple. And false priests who promoted false gods. So even in that day, Bethel was bad. <laughs> Just throwing it out there, okay? <laughs> oh, I love it, okay? <clears throat> Look, something can have really good music, but Bethel has great music, okay? But some of the teaching that they have is shady, okay, to say the least. Just letting you know. <laughs> Grave soaking and, and uh, uh, just a million other things that I could name, but I'm not going to get into that. Anyway, I just thought it was funny. You don't have to like it. <laughs> uh, not only is Bethel important because later on that temple's built there, but also all kinds of Kings kind of gravitate towards Bethel, okay? Uh, also, Mount Gerizim is really close too, okay? And Mount Gerizim later on was a, a Roman town where a Roman hub where they would move troops to and fro throughout the Roman Empire. In fact, in the day of Christ, it was probably being utilized, okay? Uh, all of these things are important because they're going to give us groundwork for all the other things that God's about to do. But I think for me, the most important part of this uh, lesson was, number one, Abram was called out of uh, things that are familiar to go to a place that he didn't even know. God just said, this is the way it comes off in Scripture. 
Okay? God says, I want you to get you out of your house, out of your country, out of your way from your kindred, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Not to a place that, that I've already set up and, and God gave him all the details. He just said, come on, I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. You can tell that that's how it was going because had Abram knew I was supposed to go straight over here to this land of Canaan, he wouldn't have went up and then back down. He would have just went over. <laughs> go look at a map. Abram left Ur of the Chaldeans. It's like if you're, if you're looking at a map, the Ur of the Chaldeans, Babylon, is right here. And then he went up to Haran. And then he went up. And then he came down. But if he knew where he was going from the very beginning, he would have just went over. Any person with the right mind would have just went straight from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. And Moriah, right? But that isn't what happened. Why? Because the journey, our spiritual walk, our journey in learning more about God and learning more about our place in Christ is important. Amen? It's important for us to go through these things. Amen? It's pretty important for Abram to learn this lesson about God saying, hey, I'm going to bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And then he shows him an example with this Pharaoh. Abram lies. And so, now, now he tells the half truth, okay? Because Sarai is his half sister, okay? She is. His wife is his half sister. He ain't lying. But he ain't telling the whole truth either because she ain't just his sister. She's his wife. Amen? So it's a half-truth is still a lie. Can I get an amen? Now, the most amazing part of this is that God didn't say, Abraham, I'm going to bless them that you do good to. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to bless them that do good to you. I'm going to bless them that bless thee. I'm going to curse them that curse thee. Abram and that blessing didn't have anything to do with how Abram treated other people. Otherwise, when he lied to Pharaoh, it would have went real bad. Well, that, first of all, that's what he said, okay? We don't know that that's what those people were thinking. Now, they may very well have killed him. He may have had a very justified reason for going, oh no, if I go into that land, they're going to think she's my sister or my wife, and they're going to kill me, okay? Now, never in either one of those stories do you get that from the king. That king, I mean Pharaoh, or is it Ahab? Or it starts with the A, the other guy that he lies to, okay? I can't remember the other guy that he lies to. Uh, but neither one of those kings talked like, oh yeah, that's right, if you would if you would have told me straightforward, I would have killed you. Neither one, they both, as a matter of fact, they both go, why did you do that? That's what you get out of the story. They're like, what were you thinking? Why did you do it that way? Okay, so Abram's walking around, and he's obeying God, but somehow Abram gets himself convinced that these guys want to kill him, 
and take his wife, okay? Now, I don't know if that's just like really high lofty thoughts about himself or what, okay? But, or he just, now, Sarah had to be like smoking hot even though she was like 65, okay? Because he was worried about it, okay? She was pleasing to the eyes what the, what the next, next part of this chapter says, right? And she was, uh, yeah, the Pharaoh wanted her, and then the, the king, Ahaha, whatever his name is, he wants her too, right? And man, I got to go find this guy's name so I don't mess this up anymore, okay? Hold on, let's go find it again, because it's, it's quite a ways after all this, okay? Uh, what is his name? Do, 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 do. Abimelech. Abimelech. That's an, I knew it started with an A, okay? Abimelech. He deceives Abimelech the same way. Now, it's interesting that Isaac does the same thing. Isaac lies to a king, too. Like father, like son. Huh? Come on, somebody. Now, Isaac was alive the second time Abraham lied about this, okay? He was alive. He was around. He wasn't this time, but he was the second time. But it's Abimelech. Obviously, Sarah was still very uh, beautiful, or Abimelech. Now, then you understand this. Now, I just want you to gather this thought for a minute, okay? How old was Abraham when Isaac was born? Come on. A hundred years old. And Sarai was 90, right? Isaac is grown. When, Abra when Abraham lies to Abimelech, Isaac's grown. Now, I don't know what kind of uh, juice Sarah was on, okay? But she had to be on some juice to still look pleasing to the eye at you know, like 110, 15 years old, however old she was when she runs into Abimelech, and Abimelech's like, whoo, I gotta have it. Okay? Like, I don't know. But apparently, genetics was working in her favor. Okay? That's all I can say. She was close enough to Eve in the gene pool to really, really hold on to her age well. That's all I can say. But the, the, those were the two major points that stuck out to me in this story, that God's calling Abraham out of, uh, out of the familiar, out to the unknown, and then God makes this conditional blessing. I'm going to bless them that bless you and curse those who curse you. And you're like, hold on a minute. What about how Abraham treats these people? Well, obviously that didn't factor into God's equation because God did not punish Abram for lying to the Pharaoh. He didn't say, shame on you, don't do that. We don't get any of that. Amen? Now the Pharaoh does it. He's like, hey, all you had to say was she was your wife, and I wouldn't, because he, he's like, I would have took her in and made her my wife, and then I would have been cursed, and here's all these bad things happening in Egypt right now, and it's because you lied to me. Right? So God does correct Abram, but he does it through Pharaoh. That'll preach right there. Sometimes God just doesn't come down and smack you in the face. He'll send somebody else to you and go, hey, you're messed up. You need to get it right. 
Can I get an amen on that? And most of the time, we look at them, we go, shut up, you don't know nothing. And then a couple years later, we go, man, I should have listened to them. That's how it happens almost every time, right? Because we always think we're right and they're wrong. Every time. Like, I don't care. I, I could bring up uh, some, some uh, scientific arguments that Mike and I have had in the past, but I'm not going to do that because we don't have time. <laughs> Now, the last part of this is important, and I'm done. The last part of this is important. First of all, the Lord appears to Abraham in verse 7 and tells him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Now, this seed is multiple meaning. Uh, the Hebrew understanding of this seed prior to Christ and his coming was this is Abraham's descendants. Amen. This seed is Abraham's descendants. This was, this was not thought of at the time as, oh, the Messiah's coming. That is not the thought when the, when the Hebrew people are reading this. They're reading this saying, this is us. We're the descendants of Abraham. This was Christ and his coming. There were things that were hidden about it. There, there, there were things that weren't clearly seen in those days and they were revealed in Christ in his coming amen that's when they were known that's when people started going this is him this is the seed that's why it says this that's why Paul who did not believe in Christ would have read when, when Paul didn't believe in Christ he would have read this and saw himself as the seed the, the, the offspring of Abram amen but later on, he sees Christ, and he sees it clearly that Christ is the seed, singular. Notice it doesn't say seeds, it doesn't say offspring, it just says seed, singular, in the Hebrew. Through the flesh. Now, he builds an altar here. This is important, and it speaks to not only was Abram a man of, hey, I heard God, I believe God, and I left, but Abram was also showing himself to be of the righteous seed of Sham through Seth. Amen? Because Seth's line was the line after uh Cain killed Abel, Seth's line was the one that started calling upon the name of the Lord. And then Sham was the line that led into Abram, and Abram is from that line that leads right to Adam, that leads through this lineage that is important all throughout the Old Testament. It cannot be discounted that that lineage is absolutely important because that lineage is going to lead right down to the Messiah. Amen? That's the point of this whole thing. And Abram here is showing not only am I I'm walking in faith, believing in God, but he's also devout in his worship to God. And he builds an altar to the Lord right there. And then it said he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, 
And there he builded an altar unto the Lord. And again, he called upon the name of the Lord there. See, this is reminiscent of Sham. What happened with, or not Sham, Seth. Seth's line. This is echoing what we read about Seth's line where they began to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. And this is echoing that. Moses, remember, is writing this, all of this, right? And he's giving it to the Hebrew people. And he's showing them that this lineage is a lineage of people not only uh, who believe God and obey God, but are devout in their worship to God, to Yahweh, to I am that I am. Amen. They are absolutely devoted to him. And so is Abram. Which is why, I mean, had God just said, hey, I have to explain to you what a sacrifice is, because we don't have any record that Abram sacrificed other than the fact that he built an altar, right? Never says that he sacrificed anything, but all of a sudden God comes in and says, I want you to bring your son and give your son as a sacrifice to me. Amen? Well, if Abram never had sacrificed anything, don't you think God would have had to explain it to him? What a sacrifice was? Now, the second point to this is even Isaac knows what a sacrifice is because when Isaac's carrying the wood and Abraham has the fire and the knife, Isaac looks at him and he says, Father, I see the knife and the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? See, they already understood sacrifice. Now, it was going on and it wasn't commanded of them, but those who loved God were sacrificing and worshiping God, period. That's what was happening. Amen? So when he built this altar, he didn't just put a bunch of rocks together and walk off. He probably made sacrifice of some kind. Amen? Now, all that being said, this is going to lead right into, we've already talked about it, Abram lying to the king of Egypt, okay? So, it says that he continued south. Isn't that the way it finishes? Somebody still got their Bible open at Genesis 12, verse 8? Uh, go to verse 9, excuse me, verse 9. Abram continued journeying on and continued to Negev. Negev is in Egypt. Okay? Negev is in Egypt. So he's continuing on, and the next story picks right back up where he continued on to. Amen? He went to the Negev in Egypt, meets Pharaoh, lies to Pharaoh. Right? Now, the worst part about it is Abram... When he tells, this is my sister, they get separated because Sarai goes with Pharaoh and his concubines. And he's about ready to, you know, I can see it right now. She got put in the little concubine house and said, hey, a couple, three, four weeks, you're going to be in here. We're going to get you ready to see Pharaoh. You're going to get married to Pharaoh. You're going to be one of his concubines, right? And then all these plagues started happening and Pharaoh was like, hold, hold the phone. What's new? Oh, this Sarai chick, she's new. I bet Abram lied to me. Right? 
This, all of this is setting it up. So even devout men who hear God, believe God, listen to God, obey God, and worship God wholeheartedly can still make mistakes. Amen? We don't need to get too swelled up with thinking Abram was this perfect man because he wasn't. Amen? Neither are you, neither am I. And if it weren't for Christ, we wouldn't even have a prayer. Wouldn't have a chance. Amen? This story is not a different story because Abram is saved over and over by the grace of God, by the mercies of God. Does he believe God, follow God? Yes. And we can see him in the hall of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, in the hall of faith where, where, where he's lifted up as a great man of faith who believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Amen? But Abraham was also flawed, also made mistakes, went through tough times just like you and me. Amen? But I want to encourage you. Abram did something that not very many people do. He trusted God through the middle of it all. Even to the point where he could take his own son, his one and only son, and be willing to pay the ultimate price, which is a shadow, a foreshadowing of God offering Christ as the sacrifice lamb for us. Amen? No. Not as far as I know. Historically, it's on top of Mount Moriah. Not on the little hill next to it. So, as far as I know, Jewish tradition says it happened on, on the Temple Mount. So, uh, now it would have been interesting if it was on Golgotha because then you had two events happening. At the, now, I would still say the fact that it's 400 yards away is probably close enough, okay? I'm just like, that, that's got to count for something, right? Because <laughs> it was literally Golgotha's right outside the city walls on an adjacent little hill, okay? That's what it was. Uh, anyway, I thought all of that was interesting, and I know it wasn't a rah-rah jumping up and down preaching sermon, but I think there's a lot of good things that we can take out of there because the reality is we don't always have to have hype. Sometimes we just need teaching that, that convicts us because how many of us have failed to hear God, listen to God, obey God, <laughs> amen, worship God, <laughs> when, when, when it's really important to do so, right? Abram can challenge us, amen? Now we can also see his humanity and his frailties and we can go, oh, I see. He's not, he's not perfect, but I can strive to be like Abraham and believe God, believe in Christ, and it'll be accounted to you. As righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your grace. Lord, for your mercy. Lord, we ask 
Right now, God, if there's anyone in this room, God, who's struggling in their walk, struggling in hearing you, struggling in believing, Lord, struggling in, in obedience, struggling in worship, God, we pray that you would help each and every one, God, where we are at. Lord, we pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us by the Spirit of God, that you would call us, conform us into the image of Christ, that we might glorify you, God, that every part of our life would be glorifying to you. God, for all of the parts of our life that are where we are falling short, we pray, God, that you would strengthen us, that you would forgive us, that you would lift us up, that you would not count our sins against us, and we trust, God, that in Christ, he is our righteousness. Lord, we ask that you would help us. We cry out to you tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.